Good morning, Mercy Culture. What a beautiful morning in the presence of God today. My name is Jordan. I'm one of the pastors here. Thank you guys for joining us in the tent. Mercy Culture exists to take people from corporate encounters with God to daily personal encounters with God. And what we just experienced was a corporate encounter with the Lord. And we could do this every single day through daily personal encounters. And we do that through something that we called Connect. You can text the number that comes up on your screen. If you haven't gone through Connect, you guys got to go through it as soon as possible. You can go through this this, uh, assessment and you'll actually get to go meet with someone from the team and, and get a prophetic word and they'll pray over you and you'll learn how you best connect with God. And you can do this every day. Some people connect best with the Lord through movement. Some people connect with him through creation. There's many ways to connect with God, but only one way and it's through Jesus. I love connecting with the Lord through remembrance. And this is such a great time of year to just connect with him in that way. So once again, I just encourage you guys, if you haven't gone through connect, make sure you go through it before the end of the year and just dive into those daily personal encounters. Because who knows, one encounter with the Lord truly changes everything. If you guys would like the notes today, you can text notes to the number that comes up on your screen. And we have a special guest this morning. Y'all probably heard... But Pastor Jasmine is going to be speaking this morning. Come on, give it up. And I, I was thinking about just uh, one of my favorite things about her, one of my favorite moments. And the thing that came to mind was whenever Shindell and I first became a part of Mercy Culture, the, what impacted me the most? And I felt like it was important to share with you guys. All the development, all the leadership, all of that was amazing. But the, the thing that that propelled me forward the most was her teaching me how to be intimate with the Lord. That was the, that was the most important thing. The thing that changed my life. And I know it's changed many of you, you guys' lives through worship and, and just all the, the amazing encounters that we get to have together. Um, but truly she taught me how to be intimate with the Lord, how to seek him every single day. Like my life depends on it. I heard someone say that this morning, like my life depends on it. I have to encounter him. I have to, to grow in deeper relationship with him. So Pastor Jasmine, I just thank you for that. Uh, it's been an honor to, to serve with you and to just be led by you and uh, to learn from you. So we have a, a value of honor. If you guys would stand to your feet, let's honor Pastor Jasmine. All right, good morning. You guys can be seated. Good to be with Waco. Uh, This is my first time here um, to get to speak or be a part of a service in this way. I think I've been a part of one other service early on, uh, but it's really fun to get to be here and see what God's doing in the tent. I've been holding it down out here. Uh, Every time people from the worship team come out here, They do nothing but speak so amazingly of what God's doing out here. And so uh, that speaks to me that you guys are having daily personal encounters because these corporate encounters don't happen without you having your daily personal encounters. Uh, And so I just want to honor this congregation, honor you guys. Give a hand for yourself and what you're stewarding out here, honoring the presence of God. Uh, As Pastor Jordan said, my name is Jasmine. I'm one of the pastors at Mercy Culture Church. Uh, I moved to Fort Worth in 2018 with the shots uh, to help plant Mercy Culture. They were my youth pastors. Um, it, probably ninth, 
10th grade years, somewhere around there, they're my youth pastors. And uh, the same way that they lead us in the presence of God as the senior lead pastors of Mercy Culture was the same way they youth pastored. Uh, believe it or not, some people think youth pastoring is just pizza and games and stuff. Uh, but like the way they lead now was the, le- the way they led in the youth group. Uh, and so I'm so thankful for their leadership. Uh, I'm thankful uh, just for the opportunity that's been given to, to be a part of this. Um, this has been one of the greatest experiences of, of my life. Uh, I've been in church my whole life, uh, but this has been such a redemptive experience. So many people look at church plants and they're like, mm, be careful about being a part of a church plant might cost you your life, you know? And uh, I got a lot of warnings coming into it, but I heard the Lord say to do it, to come. And so I came, I said yes, and it's been redemptive. God has healed me through the process of being a part of this church plant, and I believe God will do the same for many of you who are a part of this church plant process right now. Uh, I also met Pastor Les and Pastor Nikki, uh, around the same time of the season of my life that I met the shots, uh, we all were at the same church in Ohio at the same time. And um, I, I just want to honor them right now. They are absolutely amazing. They've been dear friends of mine over the years. And right now, they're not here because they're stewarding family. They're putting family first, which means that they've done an awesome job of not building a church around them. You guys know the churches where if the pastor's not here, it all falls apart. Notice that your pastor is not here and the Lord is still here. And the presence of God is still here and the TV still works and the sound still operates and there's still a rug here and people are still operating in excellence. That means that they're leading really well and that they're leading in health and not building it around themselves. Uh, and so I love your pastors, uh, my friends, Pastor Les and Pastor Nikki. Um, and then along the way of the church plant, uh, one of the greatest or the greatest thing that has happened to me second to Jesus in my life is I met my husband. <laughs> Connor Wheeler, um, sitting right here. Um, we've been married for about nine months, uh, so we're still figuring it out. <laughs> still learning, still trying to figure it out. I heard it's a lifelong figuring it out. All the married people say amen. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, and uh, I just want to testify um, uh, the last few days, probably Tuesday to Thursday, I wasn't feeling good. I was under the weather. Uh, had a lot of stuff happening. That's why I kind of sound like Squidward a little bit. For those of you, if you know, you know, but it's because I had congestion stuff going on. And uh, so I wasn't feeling good, and I honestly didn't know if I was going to be able to be with you guys this Sunday. So I sent a message to the whole Waco crew, and I was like, I need you guys to pray. I want to be with you guys, but I'm not feeling good at all. And uh, on, we- on Thursday night, my husband uh, was up through the night praying for me and washing me with the word of God. And uh, the next morning, he, he texted me that night while I was sleeping and said uh, that the Lord told him I'd be well in the morning. So I woke up in the morning and the first thing I thought is, oh my gosh, I feel so much better. And like, I feel like I can, I can run, I can, I can do it, you know? And then I looked at my text and I saw that the Lord had told him that I'd be well in the morning as he was praying for me. And so for all you single people in the room, wait on the Lord because then you get a husband that will pray for you through the night and wash you with the word of God and so just honoring my husband Connor uh, he's a man of God and I'm thankful for him Uh, all right let's jump into the text Matthew 6 verses 25 through 33 
I'm gonna do my best to not trip over this thing right here. For those of you who can't see, there's a cord here that might cost me my life. Um, so if I trip, we're just gonna act like nothing happened. I'm acknowledging it now. Uh, let's jump into the text. Verse 25, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Verse 27, and which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field and how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Verse 31. Therefore, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first, say seek first, the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things, say all these things, will be added to you. Health is putting first what God puts first. The title of today's message is Expanding Territory Through Heaven's Culture, The Value of Health. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We just thank you for your presence in this room, in this tent this morning. We thank you for coming. Thank you for being here, Lord. We love your presence. Uh, we confess that if you're not here, this means nothing. Like the tent means nothing, the sound means nothing, the screens means nothing, the serve teams mean nothing if it's not unto you, if it's not through you, by you, if it's not for your presence, if you're not with us, Lord. And so we just thank you for your presence. I just declare over this tent, and even over the kids' tent, no spirit is welcome but you, Holy Spirit. We just say, fear, go, Holy Spirit, come. Come do what only you can do in the room, Holy Spirit. Come speak to us. Give us revelation. Give us wisdom. Give us counsel. We need your might. We need your knowledge. We need the fear of the Lord in this room this morning. And so we say, speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen? Amen? Amen. Okay, okay. We've been in a series focusing on expanding territory through heaven's culture. Uh, our culture is made up of four different elements. Uh, number one is our vision. You guys know the vision that we exist to take people from? Yes, this is our win. This is what we're all about. If this is your first time at Mercy Culture, this is how we know we're doing it right. If we take people from corporate encounters with God to daily personal encounters with God, as Pastor Jordan says, it's not enough to stop at what just happened this morning. Uh, actually, Jesus paid for that to happen every day in our lives. And so that's the vision of this house. Uh, our values are how we act when we're at our best. In other words, these are our rules of engagement. Uh, 
this is what we found is that uh, our values are, are the things that allows us to be at our best. We actually took a moment at the beginning of Mercy Culture and began to write out characteristics of how we act when we're at our best. And so everybody was putting, we're on time to meetings and people show up to things and they were writing all these things on these little sticky notes. We put them on a wall and then we realized that all of those things that we put up on that wall that were identifying us at our best, they actually fit into this group of values. And so those became the values because we learned that that's, that's when we're at our best. Uh, and so we've been in this series about the values. We'll come back to this in a second. Uh, and then the unique characteristics, number three, that's why we planted the church. So Pastor Lena went before the Lord and said, Lord, why do you want mercy culture? There's all these amazing churches in Fort Worth and Waco and all these cities. Why in the world do you need a mercy culture in light of all of that? And the Lord said these, these unique characteristics were, is, were what would set us apart as a house. These were the things that the Lord said, I want a house that's presence-driven. I want a house that loves Israel. I want a house that include all of those unique characteristics. I won't go through the whole list at this moment. Uh, and then our leadership standards, number four, that's who we empower. These standards are the non-negotiables of mercy culture leadership. Uh, in fact, we believe that it's actually impossible to lead well and in health without those leadership standards. Like we don't think it's possible. We think with those leadership standards, if you're not doing some of them, then you won't be a healthy leader. Um, you know, in moments in, in leadership when someone's struggling or having a hard time and we begin to have conversations with people, a lot of times if we just look at the leadership standards, we'll use that as our litmus test or as our, um, what do you call it, your vitals, like the, the vitals test that the doctor, doctors give to see, okay, how's your heart? How are your lungs? How are you breathing? We begin to look at the leadership standards and a lot of times it'll let us know why someone's struggling because those leadership standards are usually not being honored. And so we believe it's impossible to lead in health without those leadership standards. Uh, so far, we've only focused, uh, we focused mainly on the values. Uh, I haven't been here for all of them, but I believe we've covered celebration and excellence. We've covered trust. We've covered authenticity, communication, feedback, empowerment. I went back and listened to the podcast in case you were wondering, but I've been hearing, been paying attention. You guys have been covering a lot of these values. Uh, and today we're going to talk about the value of health. Uh, and I don't know if you guys have the slide for health, uh, but the tagline for this value is the phrase, leaders go first. Say, leaders go first. Leaders go first. That's our tagline. That's what makes this value sticky. So you'll hear people say all the time, leaders go first. They're talking about the value of health. The definition of this value for us, it says, we remain healthy by prioritizing daily personal encounters with God, pursuing purity, putting family first, and protecting our Sabbaths so we can lead others in health. Now, the original tagline for this was actually, put your mask on first. Then 2020 happened. So we had to edit a little bit because it didn't quite hit the same you know, in light of the world's events that were happening. And so, but the reason that that phrase was the original tagline, uh, it, it comes from a, a very familiar airline experience that we've all had. Uh, you know, the part where you get on the plane and you sit down and then the flight attendant starts talking and then you stop listening, but she's telling you how you're going to live and not die. You know that part? Yeah. Yep. That part where you stop listening. Yep. That part 
there's this little part in there where she says, uh, in case of an emergency, in the event of something bad happening, there is these masks that will drop from the ceiling. And when they come down, put it on your face. And then she says, if you're with a small child, don't put the mask on the child first. Put your mask on first and then put the mask on the little child. And the idea of that is it doesn't, you can't help the little child with the mask if you just, you know, like if you're gone, how are you gonna help the child? Guess what, you can't. You have to be healthy first in order to help someone else. Uh, another analogy that comes to mind for me with this is uh, I was at the lake with uh, the shots and the Cody's and a couple other families were at the lake together and I know we're just getting to know each other. We've, some of you we've never met. Uh, but I, when I go to lakes, um, uh, I don't, I'm not really great at swimming. So I usually wear the floaty. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like the floaty thing, the little vest that goes around your body that keeps you from drowning. You know, the life jacket, thank you. See, that, that tells you how much I go. She's correcting me, it's the life jacket. <laughs> so I usually wear the life jackets, and I'm telling you, when I wear life jackets, like, I'm, I still can't swim. Like, you know, I can, I'm really good at floating with the life jacket, but I can't swim, you know, because swimming involves like a certain movement, and I just haven't figured it out, you know? And so I just float and just stay in the water and just kind of hang out right there. So what happened was I was at the lake one time and Mercy, uh, the shot's dog, was swimming out into the lake pretty far. And you know, the dog had just been excited, taking laps, going back and forth. And there was this moment where Mercy got out there really far and Mercy was just tired. And so everybody kind of started panicking, like, what are we gonna do about Mercy? Somebody has to go get Mercy. And here's the thing, like, I love Mercy. Like, I really like that dog, and I really wanted to be a part of rescuing Mercy. But if I would have spent all my energy trying to go get Mercy, Mercy and myself would have needed to be rescued. You know what I'm saying? Because I can't swim. And so I need to be healthy in the lake before I can help Mercy be healthy in the lake. It requires me to be able to swim in order to help somebody else swim or to rescue somebody else. And a lot of times uh, we want to we want to help lead other people in health or we want to hold people to standards of health in our lives and in our community, but we're not willing to go after that for ourselves. And to start with ourselves. And that's why the tagline is leaders go first. The health starts with you. Um, how many of you have been a part of a healthy, an unhealthy church before? You've been a part of an unhealthy community, unhealthy church? Okay, put your hands down. All of us, probably. Some type of unhealthy community, organization, something. And uh, what I've figured out is that unhealthy church, unhealthy church is not made by like unhealthy bricks. It's not like the bricks in the church just got a cough, just like, like, like it's not the architecture of the church that makes the church unhealthy. It's not that the sound system is just got the flu. You know what I mean? Like that's not what makes a church unhealthy. An unhealthy church is unhealthy because of the people, right? So that means if we're in the church and in that community and we're unhealthy, then that community just became, ain't that crazy? It's crazy how that works, right? So it means that we have to pursue health on our own in order for our community to be healthy. Health starts with you. Uh, you are an individual dwelling place for the Lord, 
being built together into a dwelling place for the Lord, the house of God. Mercy Culture Waco is in a beautiful position right now because it's the beginning of something. It's the starting of something. And I remember when we planted uh, Mercy Culture Fort Worth and I was just like, man, like I get to be a part of building the thing that I've always wanted to be a part of. All the things that I've been like, man, I wish I could be a part of a church that was just like, we just want the presence of God and then I get a chance to be a part of building that. Right? How many of you feel how beautiful that is that you're getting to be a part of that? Like, that's an honor to get to do that. But then there was this day where I had this epiphany where I realized that because I'm at the beginning of it, the foundation of it, that if that also means that if I'm unhealthy, then I'm going to be a part of building something unhealthy. Right? And so that the same, you know, the, the young people say, keep that same energy. The same energy that you feel of how amazing it is to be a part of building the thing that you've always wanted to be a part of, keep that same energy when you think about the fact that if you're unhealthy, the house that you're a part of building will be unhealthy as well. Paul described it beautifully in Ephesians 2. He talks about this connection between the corporate expression and the daily personal expression of just our individual lives. Let's look at it. Ephesians 2, verse 13, it says... But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Let's go down to verse 18. It says, for through him we both have access by one spirit, no spirit but the Holy Spirit, to the Father. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, praise God, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Is that good news to anybody else that Jesus is the chief cornerstone? In whom the whole building being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Verse 22, in whom you are also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. So verse 21 is essentially saying that the household or the family of God is being fitted together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In the Greek, that phrase, being fitted together, uh, it actually means to be joined or to be hinged together. So that's God saying, or Paul saying in this passage that you're being fitted together very strategically by the Lord with other members of the house of God to become a dwelling place for the Lord. And so then the next part is he says that, it says that you are fitted together and that you're growing into a holy temple. That phrase grows into, uh, it means increase or to become greater in size or greater in maturity. It's the same word that, that's used to describe a child that's growing up into maturity. And so, in other words, God is hinging us together and maturing us into the temple of the Lord, into a dwelling place for God. That's the corporate encounter that we talk about so often. It's God saying all of you fit together very strategically uh, to be a dwelling place for God. And then let's look at verse 22. It says, you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. Now, that phrase in the Greek, built together, that means to compose in company with other Christians. That means that Pastor Shandell is being built together, and Pastor Jordan is being built together, and Erica is being built together. Each of them as individuals is being built together to become an individual dwelling place for the Lord. 
So sometimes we look at other people's lives and we, we decide for ourselves based off what we see on social media, based on their life, if they got it all together or not, if they're perfect, and we begin to compare our lives and our journey to other people. And I wanna let you know something, just because you can't see the room that the construction in somebody's life is happening in, doesn't mean there's no construction happening. According to this scripture, every single one of us is being built up together to become a dwelling place for the Lord. So you can't compare your process to anybody else. It's all happening for all of us. He's doing the work in every single one of us. You just haven't seen my construction room. You don't know the room that's being renovated in me. You don't know. I don't know what God is doing in Pastor Evelyn. I mean, I do know because me and Pastor Evelyn talks. So I know the construction that's happening there. You know, we all, but we all have different things that's happening in each other's lives. That's good news because it means that in Christ, we can trust that he's going to finish the work if he's the one that's doing the construction. And so you are being built together for a dwelling place for God. That's the daily personal encounter. That's you as an individual. So, so check it out. There's an individual build, building that's happening where you're being personally made into a dwelling place for God. And then as you're being made into it together, we're being made corporately into a dwelling place for God. So that means if your process stops, if your process is hindered, if there's not health being pursued in your life, we never move into the fullness of what we were designed to be as the house of God because it's all connected. When we pursue health in our own lives, the house of God becomes healthier. There's less people coming into the house of God that will experience church hurt and leave believing that God doesn't love them and doesn't care and that the church is whatever. Like there's less of that that happens when each of us personally pursue health in our own individual lives. As you grow as a dwelling place for the Lord, we grow as a dwelling place for the Lord. In Ephesians 2.22, it says you are also being built for a dwelling place. That phrase that I keep saying dwelling place, in the Greek that phrase means an abode or a habitation. Did you know there's a difference between visitation and habitation? There's a big difference between the two. Connor and I, we got married in March of this year. So we're, like I said earlier, we're about nine months in. And I have the testimony of being able to say that I learned when we got married that he's a more amazing man than I thought he was when we were dating because there were things that I can learn in the date in the marital phase that I couldn't have learned about him in the dating phase. Why? Because I was just seeing him every once in a while. I was just seeing him from time to time. But now we're living in the same house. I see him every day, all the time. So there's facets of him that I get to learn and see that I didn't get to see and know about when we were just dating. Did you know the same is true about God? If you live your life just focused on a corporate encounter, only on Sunday morning, there are facets of God that you will miss out on seeing because he wants you to stay with him all week. He wants you to be with him all throughout the day. And there's new things that you'll get to see about him when you just gaze at him all day. That's what Jesus paid for, for us to get to live in. I grew up in a church that was obsessed with visitations. Anybody else? Every Sunday was like, God's going to come. He's going to show up sometime soon. He'll, he will be here. Healing will eventually come. It was always, he's going to come later. And then he will come and then he'd be like, all right, now that he's here, let's leave. <laughs> you know, like let's transition to something else. Like it was this obsession with just the visitation. 
And I remember just being like, God, I want to be a part of a church that's obsessed with habitation, that wants to figure out what it looks like to get to a place where God will just stay there. And I remember when we started planning Mercy Culture and we began to pray into this church and what God was doing, I remember hearing Pastor Landon pray over and over again, God, what kind of church do you just want to stay at? How do we build a church that you would just remain, that you would just dwell, that you won't leave, that you'll, like, what kind of atmosphere, what kind of culture would make you want to stay there? What if we asked God that about our house? What if we all had the desire to make our house into a habitation to where when you walk in, he's already there. When you leave, he's, he's still there. And, you know, what if this tent became that? What if that building became that, that any time you just pull onto the property, he's already there before you ever got there? That's what we desire. And I believe it's what Jesus paid for, that it's a mandate for us to walk in that. But even more than that, more than the habitation for a building, more than the habitation for your house, he's also paid for it for you to have it in your individual life. That that's maybe the greater calling. That your life is the dwelling place, the habitation of God. That he just stays with you all the time. Did you know that that's possible? It's an option. He made it possible. So if you, if you only think of it as, I'm just going to go to church and encounter God, and if that is your, the thing that you're going after, you're going to miss out on a lot that was paid for. He paid for more than that, for that to be your reality every single day of your life, because that's where we get to know him, because that's where health is. Did you know that his dwelling place, the place where he abides, his habitation is the greatest place of health that we can ever live in in our life? Living a life that's pleasing to him, living a life that makes him want to stay around, that's the high call, that's what we're looking for. The greatest expression of health in your life will not be the fruit of your natural efforts. The greatest expression of health in your life will be the fruit of your life being a place where God stays. That will be the greatest expression of health in your life. And I know that offends the spirit of religion. Religion says that, it, that the greatest expression of health is what I do on my own. That I can make health happen on my own. That I, I just do all the things that are the most life-giving to me, and I work out a lot, and I eat all the most healthy things, and, and whatever it is. Like, there, there's this thing where we try to figure out what health looks like on our own. But did you know that if you are with him all the time, there's health there? Because he'll constantly be speaking and telling you what he wants. What's on his heart? I'm getting ahead of myself because I'm getting excited. <laughs> Let's look at John 15, 1 through 5. Jesus says it beautifully in the book of John. He says, I am the true vine and my father is the keeper of the vineyard. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes to make it even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. But verse four, it says, remain in me and I will remain in you. Just as no branch can bear fruit by itself unless it remains in the vine, neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. He says, I'm the vine and you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. He wants you to stay in him and he wants to stay in you. Health is simply staying in him. 
I just want to give you guys four ways that you can stay in him. Uh, now, there are probably way more than four ways, but these are the four that we're going to talk about this morning. Uh, it should be in the notes, or you can, if you don't believe in pre-noted notes, you take your own notes. I don't know what your jam is. Uh, but number one, the first way that you can stay in him is by prioritizing daily personal encounters. You guessed it. That's it. That's the number one way that you can stay in him. Daily personal encounters. I've said it many times this morning already, but that's one of the ways that we honor what Jesus did on the cross for us. Have you ever gotten a gift or got, get, oh, let me, let me try that again. Have you ever given a gift to someone and every time you go over to their house, you're just kind of waiting to see if they're using it? <laughs> Don't act like you never did that. You got them the fruit bowl. That one from Sister Susan at the pottery place, you got them the special fruit bowl. And every time you go over, you're looking for the fruit bowl. But then you go over there and all the apples and the pears are in a different fruit bowl. And you're like, but I got you a fruit bowl. How come you're not using the fruit bowl? Like we all know what it feels like on a human level to get someone a gift and what it feels like when that gift's not being used. Imagine what God feels like having paid for us to have nonstop access into the holy place and then we just some days of the week just decide not to use it imagine what that feels like for the price that's been paid that we would just because we don't feel like it decide not to take access that's been paid for that's one of the ways that we honor the sacrifice that's been made that we honor Jesus is by just showing up just having our daily personal encounters with him um practical, just a practical thing that you can do for your daily personal encounter is to establish a time for you and the Lord to meet every day. Don't make God fit into your day. Make your day fit around God. Some of you can't figure out the daily personal encounter thing. You're like, I don't have time to do it. Uh, have you ever said that you don't have, you don't have enough money to tithe? Right? Y'all know what I'm talking about. When you say that, it's because you didn't start with the tithe. It's the same concept. If you don't have time to daily personal encounter with God, maybe you stopped starting with him. Maybe there needs to be a reallocation of your first with your time in the same way that you would do that with your money. Number, the, the next thing that I would say as a practical tip for uh, daily personal encounters with God is to connect with God in the ways that you best connect with God. Shameless plug for connect that Pastor Jordan was just saying, that assessment will help you learn all the ways that you best connect with God. And so why spend so much time trying to connect with God the way Pastor Les connects with God? Uh, he connects with God through food and something else. I don't know what else. But like, why... Why? I know, it's real, it's food. Uh, but why try to connect? Some of you, anybody else with the Lord on that? Yeah, uh-huh. But why try to connect with God in the ways that he does when God may be hiding something else for you? There's something else that he wants to do with you. Find out what those ways are in your personal life and lean hard into those things. Uh, the second thing that you can do to, what's this list again? Four ways that you can stay in him. Number two is to pursue purity. Actively pursue purity in your life. Another way of saying it is to pursue a lifestyle that's pleasing in the sight of the Lord. Did you know it's possible to grieve God? I can hear some of you. No, it's not. Let me tell you. It is. Ephesians 4.30. It says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit. The fact that it says it means that you can do it. 
that means that it's possible to make decisions in our lives and do things in our life that actually grieves him, that will make him step back. And I, you know, a lot of times in, in this conversation regarding purity, we'll just talk about what people shouldn't be doing. Don't do this, don't do that, don't do that, and don't watch this and don't do that. And I just wanna give you a different perspective because I'm sure all of you have heard those ser- sermons multiple times somewhere else at a different church. Uh, but I wanna give you a different perspective. What if your pursuit was just to make him smile? You know when people just, you know, when you look at somebody and they're not frowning at you, but they just giving you that straight face like all y'all giving me right now? That kind of like lukewarm face, just like. You know what I'm talking about, that face? So there's that face, that straight emoji. You know what I'm talking about, there's that. And then there's the frown. We all know we don't wanna give God a frown, but so many of us are okay with the straight face. Are okay with that low key thug look y'all all giving me right now. Like we're kind of okay with that look. But did you know that there's things that we can do in our life that actually make him smile? Don't you want to smile from somebody who you're walking with? You want the, the kind that the eyes get all wrinkly, the little crinkly thing that happens right here? Like you want the good smile from people that you love. What if you operated like that with God? What if you saw, Lord, what would make you smile? What's pleasing to you? That is that scripture. It's probably one of my favorite verses. Ephesians 5, 10. Find out what pleases the Lord. Find out what makes him smile in purity in your life. Um, one of the things that you can do practically uh, for this one is to, to confess quickly. This is how you live in the light. You should have people in your life that know every part of your story, that know every part of your testimony. I wanna challenge you, if you've never shared every part of your story, every part of your testimony, all of the things that you struggle with, if there's nobody in your life that knows that about you, someone should. There should be friends, there should be mentors that know those things about your life so that you have people that you can confess to quickly. And you can say, whoa, 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 I saw this today. I shouldn't have saw that, shouldn't have looked at that, looked at that about three seconds too long. You need to be able to confess that to somebody. Um, The other thing that I would say for this one is to be aggressive. Close your eyes, turn the channel, turn off the song, do whatever it takes. I'm sure the majority of us in here have some type of testimony connected to sexual purity or sexual immorality in our life. All of us probably have some type of testimony. I know I do. I've been delivered, I've been set free, I've been healed. Uh, Addiction to pornography, I lived in a homosexual lifestyle for a season of life. Like I've been set free from so much and I can't afford to allow things in my ear gates and eye gates that would cause me to stumble. I can't afford to lose territory. I have to keep advancing. I remember uh, me and Pastor Evelyn and this girl named Tessa used to be roommates and uh, one night a few of us had bad dreams and just had like these sexual perverse dreams all in our different bedrooms at the same time, just bad dreams that night. And, uh, and I just, again, I got a testimony, I got a lot to fight for. So I woke up the next morning, I was like, who did it? Who did it? Who opened the door? I had a bad dream, that wasn't mine. I don't know where it came from. Somebody did something. Somebody confess quickly confess so we all got together and we were talking about it and none of us did anything nobody opened a door and what I mean by open doors for those of you who may not know what I'm talking about when you uh watch pornography in your house 
There's a door that gets opened in the spiritual realm to the demonic. So if you wonder why you're having nightmares all the time, why things are happening, there could be doors that are opening your house, pornography, uh, sexual sin, things being entertained that shouldn't be there. And so I knew that. And so I said, well, who did it? Because I didn't watch nothing. Pastor Evelyn said it wasn't me. Tessa said it wasn't me. And so he said, well, Lord, what happened? And he reminded us that there is this documentary that we had watched the night before. And there's a couple of scenes in the documentary that we, we all, all three grown women just closing our eyes because we're not ashamed of, of just fighting for the purity that God has given us in our life and the righteousness that we found in Christ Jesus. And, but there was things that got opened up in our home because of the documentary that we watched. And so, you know what? It was so easy. We just repented. We said, wow, sorry, Lord, we missed that. We repent made it right before the Lord, and then we carried on with our merry lives and didn't have bad dreams. But we made it right. Uh, pursue purity actively. And I just want to say purity in the pursuit of it is not just for single people. Some of you married people, as soon as I said purity, you're like, cool, this is the part where I'm going to check out what time it is. Instagram, like chilling. And I just want you to know uh, it's not that kind of party. Purity is for all of us. It's for all of us. Did you know you probably even need to pursue it more, even as a married person? One of my favorite things about my husband is how, how much he pursues it, how quick he is to just say things, how quick he is to just say, like the pursuit of it, the violent pursuit of it, the way that we do that together. And I just want to say as married couples, like you should be living like that with one another keeping things in the light, saying things quickly to one another so that you can continue living in the beauty of covenant that God gave you. Uh, don't let pride keep you from freedom. You're in a movie, something comes on. I don't know who this is for, but I'm just leaning hard into it. You're in a movie, you're watching something, and you know that that thing is going to open up old sin in your life, and you keep watching it. Don't let pride fool you. Close your eyes, turn the channel, turn the song. For some of you, it's not movies that get you, it's songs. You're playing old songs from that old relationship and it's reminding you of things you used to do when you used to listen to that song and you just need to turn the song. You need to delete it off the playlist and don't listen to it anymore because you care so much about living and staying in the deliverance and the freedom that was paid for for you. I don't know who that was for. I feel like there's something on that. We'll go after that later on today. Number three, putting family first. You know, God was a father before he was a creator. He was father first. God loves family. Something Pastor Landon says all the time is that the enemy doesn't care about how big your church gets as long as you stay in it. And what I would say about family is the enemy doesn't care about how big or awesome your personal ministry is, your calling and your destiny, if your family doesn't point to the goodness of God. God cares about family. If you notice in the New Testament over and over, Paul is teaching to these churches and he just goes on and on and on about family and how family should function, how family should operate. He does not let up on family. Now, Paul could have just been talking about church government. He could have only talked about the way the church is supposed to operate. But for some reason, over and over again, he leaned into family health and what it's supposed to look like. And it's because God cares about family. Uh, the enemy isn't making war against your family for fun or because he has nothing else to do. It's because he's, he, he knows that your family will have generational impact on how the next generation relates to God. 
the stewardship of your home will directly affect the way your family and others relate to the character, nature, and ways of God. What does that mean? How you father will show your kids what the father God is like. How you, how you mother will teach your kids something about what the Holy Spirit is like. How you are a sibling, how you are a friend will teach your kids and people something about what Jesus is like. Your ability to abide at home, your ability to rest at home will teach your kids something about what it's like to abide in God. It's all connected and the enemy knows it, but so does God. And so he wants us to put family first. A practical thing you can do for putting family first is to intentionally set aside family time. Uh, Connor and I are super new in this because we are our new family unit. But one of the things we do is we have our weekly date nights and it's non-negotiable. And if we have to move it from Friday night, we move it to a different night, but it's non-negotiable that every week we will have a time together as a family for date night. Saturday mornings, we set aside time to be together. What is the practical or the intentional time that you set aside as a family uh, to be together? The second thing you can do is to surround yourself with families or couples that you want to learn from. Families that you have seen put family first, be around those families, especially for single people. Be around families that you see doing that well and you will learn. And the last thing, the last uh, part of these four different ways to stay in God is protecting the Sabbath. God was the first one to Sabbath. I love that. He created time and then took a Sabbath. Why do you think you could do better than God with the time he created and gave you? It says that the Sabbath was made for you. So why do you think you can operate in health without something he made for you? There should be one day every week that's set aside in your life for the Sabbath. A couple practical things you can do is prepare for the Sabbath intentionally. How many of you have been to Israel? Okay, y'all need to go to Israel. A lot of people that need to go to Israel. So I went to Israel a few years ago. One of the things that uh, just I loved that I saw was that the day before the Sabbath, there was just this mad frenzy and everybody was just moving. There's all this stuff going on. And I was like, what's happening? Why is everybody going crazy right now? Somebody told me, oh, it's because everybody's preparing for the Sabbath. I was like, what does that mean? Well, because they don't work on the Sabbath, all the things that would take them out of rest on the Sabbath, they do the day before Sabbath to get ready for the Sabbath. So practically what that looks like for me is, uh, I Sabbath on Mondays typically, and so I'll wash dishes and straighten the house up on Sunday night so that Monday I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to think about it. I know people who prepare for the Sabbath by buying paper plates and plastic forks and things like that so they don't have to wash dishes on that day. Now, I know Sabbath is way more than just doing dishes, but you can probably see what the biggest part of the Sabbath is for me, not doing dishes. Uh, But there's so many different ways that you can prepare for the Sabbath in your personal life. The other thing that I would say for the Sabbath is to look for God in the simple things. So in, in my, this last Sabbath that I had on, on Monday, this past Monday, I was uh, cracking pecans. Anybody ever cracked pecans? Something my mom and I used to do growing up. And so I just recently started doing it again. And I was just eating some pecans, cracking them. And uh, I had this moment where I cracked the pecan and I opened it and I just felt the Lord. He just came. And it was that little thing in the middle of the pecan there's like that little wall, that little divider. I see, you, you've been cracking pecans, you know. There's that little divider in the pecan. And then, you know what I'm saying, you take it out, whatever. And for some reason, the little divider just took me out. 
just took me out. And I was just like, Lord, your design, the way you designed this pecan, Lord, like it just got me. I found him in something so simple and I got rocked. And do you know that he's looking to encounter you like that in the simple things on your Sabbath? He just wants to be with you. He just wants to talk to you. He wants to show you his design in things, the simplicity, the beauty of who he is. So look for him in your Sabbath. And so just to review the four things that you can do, four different ways uh, that you can stay in him or that you can pursue health. One is prioritizing daily personal encounters with God. Number two is pursuing purity. Number three is putting family first. And then number four is protecting the Sabbath. And let's go back to the main text and worship team, you guys can come on up. Our main text, again, it was Matthew 6, verses 25 through 33. And it's Jesus uh, teaching, speaking, giving this sermon on the mount right here. And I want to look at verse 32. Jesus says, For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. And that word, I've never seen this before, but that word seek in that scripture it's actually the word zeteo, and it means to seek by inquiring. Or another definition is to investigate, to reach a binding resolution, to seek by inquiring. That word inquiring, I'm sure you guys know that inquiring is just like asking. It makes me think of a little child. You know, when kids get around, bless you. I don't know who that was. God bless you. You just got blessed. Uh, but that word seek, it's like, the, the posture of a little child. I don't know what the age is, but maybe around seven or eight. Parents, y'all can probably tell me I'm not there yet. But when kids just start asking all the questions, she said, oh, she knows. Three, three, three about three years old. And is why is the sky blue? Why is the grass green? Where do babies come from? We're like, whoa, 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 whoa. A lot of conversations to have, too many questions. But there is this curiosity that the child is operating in. And the cool thing about it is it fires, that question season, it fires because that's where they're learning. That's the greatest place of learning where they begin to explore and see and understand and wrap their minds around huge concepts. It's, it's where the greatest learning happens. It also reveals humility and hunger. And so Jesus is saying that the Gentiles had that posture. They were seeking by inquiring. They were just asking, who's going to feed us? Who, where are we going to get clothes? Where are we going to eat? What are we going to do? They just had all these questions. And, but all the questions that they had were them inquiring for themselves about who would meet their needs, about how they would get fed, how they would get clothed. And I think it's interesting, right after that in verse 30, it says that Jesus rebuked them. It says, but if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? That's a slight rebuke. I'm like sitting there reading this passage. I'm like, Lord, what are you saying? Why did you say it like that to them? And he revealed to me that he didn't rebuke them for asking the questions. The questions were right of asking the questions were correct. He wanted them to seek by inquiring. The only problem was it was that 
the order of their seeking was wrong. There was another seeking that should have happened first. Matthew 6, you guys know the scripture. Right after that, he says, but, which means instead of, but, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things that they were inquiring about and wondering about, it will be added to them. It will be added to you. The kingdom, there's two things that he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. The kingdom of God, what that means is it's a realm in which a king sovereignly rules. I want you to think about it like this. It's a place where the king can dwell. It's a place where the king can rest. It is a habitation for the king. So he says to seek by inquiring first of the place where the king can abide, the place where the king can rest. And then second, his righteousness which means the approval of God, divine approval. But I want you to hear it like this. It's a person who was in right standing with God. Righteousness is being in right standing with God and it's not out of our own effort. As we said earlier, righteousness in Christ is his righteousness. It's what he did on the cross. It says, the word of God says that our righteousness is like filthy rags, that we just don't have it. But because of what Jesus did on the cross, we can live in his righteousness which means that God sees us through the eyes of the blood of Jesus, that we're made right when we're in him. And so Jesus is saying, instead of just seeking all these things for yourself, start with seeking by inquiring, this asking like a little child, of the, about the place where I dwell. Start by asking about a lifestyle that's pleasing to me, that's right and right standing with me. When we intentionally start with seeking his kingdom and his righteousness by inquiring of him, everything else we need gets added to us. We find health when we prioritize what's pleasing to him before we, cons we, we consider our own desires and needs. It's starting with asking God, what's it like in the realm where you rest? What's the atmosphere like in the realm where you rule? What's the atmosphere like in the place where you can abide, where you habitate? And then I wanna do whatever it takes by your grace to create that place for you in my home, in my job, in my business, at, at work, in whatever it is that you put in my hands. It's asking God, what does it look like to live in the lifestyle that's in right standing with you? Then doing whatever it takes by his grace to live in the life that he paid for. I want you to know that your needs are hidden in his kingdom and in his righteousness. We have so many questions, so many needs, uh, but what I see in this passage is that misplaced questions produce anxiety. So when you're asking the wrong people the right questions, you will be anxious. That's what was happening to them in this, in this scripture. Jesus says, why are you so anxious? You're so anxious about where you're gonna eat, where you're gonna do this. But then he says, it's not about the question. I just wanted you to come to me first. I want you to inquire, to seek by inquiring of me first. What's it like where I dwell, where I rest? What is it like to live a life that's pleasing to me? He wants you to start with him. You have questions for your doctor, but you haven't asked God about question, questions about the Sabbath. 
You have questions about divorce in your life and in your marriage, but you've never asked God what it means to prioritize family the way he does. You have questions about a relationship in your life, but you're not asking God about what it looks like to pursue purity. It's starting with him, with the questions. We will only be healthy in the areas of our lives that we seek his kingdom and his righteousness first. Health is putting first what God puts first. The only way we find out what God puts first is in every area of our lives inquiring of him first. Everybody just close your eyes for a moment. This this week, just keep your eyes closed. This week as I was praying and asking the Lord about what he wanted to do in Waco this weekend, he began to show me that there were people who would be here uh, that would actually have a hard time with this sermon because of your past church experiences where there was moments in your past experiences where you've seen health misconstrued you've seen it abused you've seen it done wrong you've been in extremely unhealthy atmospheres I actually the church that I came from before here I was actually taught that I didn't really need to Sabbath it. I just needed to do more and that God would be more pleased with me if I did more for the church instead of Sabbathing. I was actually uh, taught uh, that, that God just wanted me to kind of burn out and just go all out and never rest and that that would be pleasing to him. I remember Lauren Caldwell and I have known each other for a long time, but I missed my friend's wedding because of a conference at the church that I was at because I was told that I needed to put the conference first. And the Lord was just showing me that there was people in the room this weekend that you've had experiences like that. And it's almost been difficult for you to even imagine entering into this community because of the way you've seen health done wrong. And I feel the Lord, even right now, I just feel his his presence in the room. He wants to bring healing to those places today. He wants to restore, he wants to redeem so that you can fully enter into what he's put in front of you in this season. So I'm just gonna, we're just gonna sit here for a second and as the Lord begins to show you things, I just want you to, everybody just get up on your feet and as the Lord begins to show you things, I just want you to make your way up to this altar. 